RGX314 could be a one-time gene therapy that addresses diabetic retinopathy. How did it perform in the Phase two Altitude Study? I'm Scott Criswanis, and that was Greg Notstein, and this is New Retina Radio from Retina Today and Bryn Mawr Communications. Dr. Mark Barakat shares one-year safety and efficacy findings from the first two dosing levels of RGX314 in patients with DR. What are the data, and what's coming next? And Dr. Hani Salehi-Had joins the podcast to tell us about the findings in the DIAMOND study, a clinical trial assessing the safety and efficacy of OCS01, an eyedrop designed to treat DME. What did he and his study colleagues find? Keep it here to find out. The last time we discussed RGX314 on new Retina Radio meeting coverage was during the ASRS 2021 meeting in San Antonio. We heard from Dr. Mark Barakat about early efficacy data for the treatment of wet AMD. And now he's back, but this time we're exploring with Dr. Barakat the one-year results from the Phase two Altitude study, which explores RGX314 in diabetic retinopathy treatment, not wet AMD. Dr. Barakat provided an update at this year's AAO annual meeting, and he's ready to fill us in. Dr. Barakat is the director of the Retinal Research Institute at Retina Consultants of Arizona, and he will soon be moving to Retina Macula Institute of Arizona. Dr. Barakat, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me, Scott. It's my pleasure to be here. We need to set the table for listeners who might not be familiar with RGX314. Can you give us a primer on the therapy? No, absolutely. So ABBV RGX314, or 314 as we call it from here on out, is an AD8 vector that encodes a monoclonal antibody anti-VEGF with the potential for long-lasting anti-VEGF therapy. And it can be administered in the clinical trials in more than one way. One is subretinally via surgery, but what we'll be talking about today is a one-time in-office suprachoroidal injection, so one-time therapy. And this uh, is really ideal for the patients in a clinical setting. Let's discuss the phase two altitude study, which explored 314 in patients with diabetic retinopathy. Who was enrolled? What did the study look like? No, absolutely. So uh, altitude was a, is a phase two trial that uh, has moderately severe NPDR, severe NPDR, and also mild PDR patients uh, that do not have center involving diabetic macular edema. So there's several doses and cohorts involved, and the results that we talked about are uh, doses one and two, so cohorts one through three. These subjects received a single dosing supercorrelately in the office at day one, were followed for a year and treated with center of care treatment as needed. The primary endpoint at one year was a two-step of great improvement in the DRSS score, but also with some secondary endpoints as well of, of, of interest. Uh, going into details on this, the baseline characteristics were well-balanced, and of course, we need to talk about safety as well. Yeah, let's get to that safety. I'm curious what the results looked like at year one in the first two dose levels that you looked at in altitude. Absolutely. Of course, safety is, uh, is paramount. And uh, 314 was well tolerated. So that's the good news. Um, at year one, both dose levels one and two only had some SAEs. None were considered drug-related. There were no cases of choriretinitis, vasculitis, occlusion, or hypotony. 
there were some cases of episcleritis of about 12% or so. These were mild to moderate, and these resolved with topical treatment. There are a few cases, about 6% or so of intraocular inflammation, also mild resolving with uh, topical treatment as well. And this is in the, in the absence of prophylactic steroid treatment. That's right. So the first two dose levels did not have any prophylactic steroid treatment, right? What about the third dose? The third dose will have um, um, prophylactic steroid treatments for cohorts four and five. And so that is uh, currently being um, recruited for right now. Okay, let's get back to the altitude study. Uh, for the results that we do have, let's talk about efficacy. What did you and your team find at one year? So essentially at, at one year, uh, the control group um, had worsening on average, which is to be expected. So about 37% or so of these patients had two-step or greater worsening of the DRSS, with only about 12% or so having a two-step improvement. At dose level one, that narrative switched. So in, you had a 33% two-step improvers and only 16% two-step worsening. And at dose level two, had none that had two-step worsening and about 20, 21% or so improvement. If you were just to look at any improvement, so step one and onward, in control was 25%, in dose level one was 66%, and dose level two was 71%. So these were really robust numbers if you're looking for stability. I'd like to hear about the efficacy results at one year. Dr. Barakat, can you tell me what you and your team found? Absolutely. So in terms of efficacy, we look at DRSS scores and you look at the observation control. And as you might imagine, about 40% or so of these, these subjects had two-step uh, worse, uh, two worsening or greater. Whereas if you look at the, the subjects that were treated with 314, dose level one is about 13%. Dose level two, it was less than 10%. So there seemed to be this robust um, decrease, or at least a signal for a robust decrease in terms of worsening of DRSS. If you look at the improvers, those that improved two lines or more, uh, all comers for observation was 10% or so. And if you looked at um, uh, three and four treated patients in dose level one, it was about 13%. In dose level two, it was 20%. So there's definitely a signal there. I understand that you and your colleagues looked specifically at NPDR patients. How did they respond? No, absolutely. And NPDR patients are of particular interest because we know from prior trials, those patients are the most likely to respond to anti-VEGF therapy. So when you look at the subcategory of DRSS 47 to 53, in comparison in the control arm, you have about 37% or so that had two-step worsening and only 12% or so that had two-step improvement to be expected. But if you look at level one, dose level one, 314, that narrative flips. Now, you have 33% having two-step or greater improvement and only 16% having two-step worsening. And in dose level two, you had 20%, 21% or so having two-step improvement and no patients had two-step worsening. Another way of looking at that is any improvement. So one step or greater was 25% of control, 66% in dose level one, and about 71% in dose level two. So really encouraging results. I want to circle back to safety for a second. This is safety adjacent. Talk to me about vision-threatening events in each arm of this study, both in control and then in the two treatment arms. No, absolutely. So in, in any trial, it's not just about the primary endpoint. It's also about the secondary endpoint. The primary endpoint many times is something that we need to have that's FDA approvable, and that will be the two-step gainers or two-step losers. 
But as a clinician, we, we care about vision-threatening events, such as progression to proliferative diabetic retinopathy, intersegmented vascularization, um, diabetic macular edema. And so when looking at these NPDR patients in the control arm, the rate of that sort of complication was 37%, whereas in dose level one, that decreased to 17%, in dose level two, that decreased to 4%. So when looking at control to dose level two, you have an 89% reduction, which is very robust. And that's, that's really what we're looking for. This is the reason why we're looking for treatment such as this. We still have not heard about dose level three, which is cohorts four and five. What can we expect next in altitude? I assume some of that data and maybe some more? Right. So we all look forward to dose level three. Um, frankly, if the profile of this, this uh, drug is similar to what we see in dose level two, that in and of itself will be robust. So if we can see a 90% reduction for a one-time in-office procedure, that, that would be a wonderful thing. Before we wrap up, I'm curious about the future or the potential future of a drug like this. Let's say the FDA were to approve a gene therapy for diabetic retinopathy in some form, in which patients would you put this drug? Who's the ideal patient? What do you see the real-world utility being? You know, that's a great question, Scott. So it's really, you know, what's the value proposition here? And um, going back a little bit, we know as a community that anti-vegetative treatment for diabetic retinopathy works. We have approved drugs for this. We know from our panorama trial, if you use this drug every three to four months, you can drastically decrease the rates of vision-threatening complications by 80% or so. And yet we don't do it. And, and they have to ask themselves, why don't we treat these patients? At least according to real-world data, we, we certainly don't. And I think that's multifactorial. One of it is, is the treatment burden, you know, the constant repeated need for injections. The other thing, these are working-age patients. They, they can't always make it to the clinic on time. And, and the fact that they also have other complications. And so they may not be able to make it to the clinic on time. So a loss of follow-up is another uh, component here. So here we introduce a potential therapy that's a a single, a one-time in-office injection with potential durable effect that may be able to achieve the same benefit in terms of reduction vision-threatening events. So in that perspective, we know that this, the target population for this really would be the patients with non-prolific diabetic retinopathy, those that are moderately severe or severe, uh, wouldn't certainly rule out those patients with mild PDR, but that will be on a case-by-case basis. So in other words, not certainly not everybody that walks in your clinic with a little bit of diabetic retinopathy, but there is a, a healthy proportion of patients for that this that could benefit from this greatly. Well, we're looking forward to it. There'll be more data coming down the pike as you referenced. Dr. Barakat, thanks for joining us on New Retina Radio meeting coverage. Thank you, Scott, so much. It's been a pleasure as always. The development of drops for the treatment of common retinal diseases could be the golden goose. If patients are empowered to self-administer drops that are safe and effective, then barriers to treatment would be significantly mitigated. We might be inching closer to the possibility of drop-based therapy for DME. To learn more, we're joined by Dr. Hani Salehi Had, a vitreo retinal surgeon at Retina Associates of Southern California in Huntington Beach. Dr. Slehi Had, welcome to New Retina Radio. Uh, it's a pleasure being here. Thank you for having me to discuss these exciting results. The medication in question is OCS01. Tell us about it. Uh, yes, OCS01 is a eye drop 
that's uh, aiming to be the first uh, non-invasive eye drop based therapy for diabetic macular edema. Uh, we can get into the science of how it's made, the way that we aim to penetrate the eye, um, if you wish, next. Absolutely. Please tell us more. So the formulation works uh, by uh, using cyclodextrin. Cyclodextrin is a um, cyclic oligosaccharide, which forms spontaneously into micro and nanoparticles. And these micro and nanoparticles then can incorporate any medication. And this allows for delivery of something that's hydrophobic, like dexamethasone, in a hydrophilic environment like the tear film. So that's the mechanism by which uh, OCSO1 uh, is delivered to the eye and delivers dexamethasone to the posterior segment. And we think the route of penetration is through the sclera. Your talk at AAO covered the DIAMOND study. It's a phase 2-3 study of OCS01 in DME patients. Was this a pivotal study? Yes, yeah, so this is the uh, uh, phase two slash three, stage one of the study. And this is um, aiming to uh, come up with a dosing regimen for the second stage, which will be the larger stage phase three trial uh, conducted in diabetic macular edema. Tell us how you and your colleagues organized the study. So the study is basically um, uh, divided into two phases. The first phase is the induction phase. And in that phase, for the first six weeks, patient takes eye drops six times a day with the OCS01. And the second phase is the maintenance phase where patients start taking eye drops three times a day. And the aim is to see if we can continue to see gains or at least maintain the initial gains that we see in the induction phase uh, through the 12-week study. And it's a 12-week study with the primary endpoint being visual acuity at week six. And in terms of secondary endpoints, what were the researchers looking for? Uh, the secondary endpoints are at week 12, basically looking at the same thing, visual acuity, also percentage of patients that gained a meaningful amount of vision, which is defined as three lines of vision, as well as central macular thickness. Now, of course, just like any study, we looked at uh, ocular adverse events as well. Why don't we move now to the efficacy endpoints? How did mean BCVA changes look at weeks 6 and 12? So uh, BCVA improved significantly uh, by seven uh, plus letters uh, at week six. And this improvement was maintained and maybe slightly better at week 12. And this change was clinically significant compared to a three line or three letter change rather for the control group. You said you also looked at those who gained at least three lines from baseline. What did those numbers look like? So 25% of patients in OCSO1 gained three lines of vision at week six, and that percentage went up slightly to 27% at week 12, which was, again, also clinically significant. And what did those numbers look like in the vehicle arm? In the vehicle arm, um, the uh, at week six, there was about 9% uh, improvement uh, of uh, three-letter gainers and 7% uh, for the 12 weeks. 
So it sounds like functional vision was improved. Tell us about anatomic improvements. So there was a significant drop in central macular thickness um, at week two. So almost immediately after starting the drops, and that was the first time point that we looked at week two, there was a significant decrease in central macular thickness. And that decrease was maintained all the way across week 12. And what about safety? Anything of note? In terms of ocular adverse events and systemic adverse events, there was nothing unexpected. There was an expected and anticipated uh, rise in intraocular pressure. And uh, in terms of IOP increase, um, the IOP increased by 10, uh, only in about 14% of patients. And there was only one patient that had an IOP of 35 one time. And so increases in IOP were according to expectation of what we thought based on uh, prior studies with dexamethasone, and it was not a significant concern. The mean IOP also increased um, by only um, two to three uh, compared to baseline. To summarize, the study hit its pre-specified primary endpoint and its secondary endpoints. What's next? So next is actually starting the larger uh, stage two trial using the same um, drop regimen of six times a day in terms of induction and then maintaining it at three times a day in a larger patient population and following them through longer to see if these increases continue to uh, pile, so to speak, or they're going to be maintained. Let's imagine that this drug is approved at some point in the future. I'm curious to hear how you think this treatment would fit into the overall landscape in retina. Um, so I think this is an amazing treatment to have and maybe something that can be tried in the initial stages of your therapy. Our aim is to have a non-invasive treatment for DME. Uh, in terms of how aggressive that will be, it really will depend on the stage two results. This will be perfect and ideal for someone that's starting to have diabetic macular edema, and um, it's an eye drop that can be done non-invasively at home for them. Uh, and certainly if this is not uh, getting them to where they need to be, uh, you can switch them then into more uh, invasive treatments of injections. However, I think having this treatment in our arsenal is really going to make a big difference for patients and patient outcome. Um, you can imagine if a, a large number of patients respond to this treatment and avoid needing injections, uh, well, that will be a revolutionary change. Yeah, for both patients and for clinics. So, Dr. Salehi Had, thank you for joining us on New Retina Radio. It's been a pleasure, guys, and hope to speak with you on uh, future developments. That's it for this edition of Late Breakers from the AAO annual meeting. We have a few more updates along the way, so make sure you are subscribed in your podcast feed. And if you haven't subscribed, you know how to do it. Go into your podcast platform of choice and tap subscribe. It's free, it's easy, and we will have episodes automatically delivered to you. 